0: Good afternoon, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods.
1: Welcome, everyone, to One Hour at a Time with Mary Woods. And, of course, I'm John McAndrew, the guest host today. And, again, we are so appreciative of the people that come on this show and share their experience and uh, and their knowledge. And today's guest uh, is a great one, as as always, and her name is Jennifer Matisa, and she's she's been writing about health and life transformation for well over 20 years, and she has two previously published books, Naval Gazing, The Days and Nights of a Mother in the Making, which was a bestseller, and Knowing Stephanie, which is a biography of a young breast cancer patient. Jennifer also started a blog in 2010, very, very popular, called Guinevere Gets Sober. And she interviews scientists and authors, uh, ordinary people, folks uh, in recovery, practitioners. And we hear story after story uh, about people recovering from addiction. She's contributed journalistic coverage of the topic of addiction to uh, many, many national and international publications. And for several years, she's taught writing at the University of Pittsburgh. And her new book is called The Recovering Body. Uh, and very much uh, in recovery, the talk is about the spiritual and mental aspects. And, and I, I agree with her premise that it's good to focus on the, the healing of the body. And her book is called The Recovering Body, and we'll talk about where you can buy that. And more about where you can get information from Jennifer. Jennifer, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here.
1: You have been very, very busy, and uh, I think later in the show I'll we'll also talk about you as a painter and <laughs> a writer and uh, a very, very busy person in life. And I think we'd just kind of like to introduce you to our audience. You know, early in this book you talk about What motivated you to write this book, The Recovering Body? Can you tell us a little bit about your motivation and your personal experience?
2: Sure. Well, over the course of um, six years, approximately six years, I I became addicted to uh, prescription painkillers. I I apologize for my voice. I have a little bit of a cold, but anyway... um, I have two neurological conditions that can be very painful, migraine and fibromyalgia. And I sought treatment at the encouragement of, of several uh, world-renowned scientists that I was interviewing at the time for my work. I sought treatment at a pain clinic, and they started me on pure hydrocodone and then moved me to added morphine and then added moved me from morphine to oxycontin, and then switched me entirely to fentanyl, which is the most uh, powerful drug, opioid drug out there on the market. It's used for outpatient and inpatient surgery. It's very, uh-huh. very powerful. And at the end of my active addiction, I was on an enormous dose of fentanyl. So I detoxed in 2008. And after I detoxed, I was very sick. I had a prolonged period of what's called post-acute withdrawal syndrome.
1: Right
2: and that's just characterized by malaise, fatigue, lack of interest uh, in life, depression um, and I didn't know when I was going to feel better and i i I was in a program of recovery by that time. I was told that I needed to form a a, a relationship with a higher power and pray <clears throat> so i essentially tried to pray my way into recovery and I did actively work the 12 steps that's the um, that's the orientation that I follow and it's very productive to a degree but it wasn't healing my body I wasn't feeling better in my body I wasn't sleeping well I wasn't eating well I wasn't exercising I didn't have a lot uh-huh. of energy and at the at the beginning of 2010 after about 14 months uh, of clean time, I I jumped, I uh, relapsed, um, mm-hmm. I stole a Vicodin. And so often, quite often in 12-step programs, they say, when you relapse, you have to do something different. So what I chose to do differently was to take care of my body. And I began to play tennis. Then when winter hit, I was faced with not being able to exercise because I live in an area that gets cold and has a lot of snow. So I decided to undertake an in-home exercise program. And after, after two 90 day rounds of that, I was so strong and fit unexpectedly that I could do 160 pushups per hour long workout, which I never, ever, it just blew my mind that I could be that strong. And so And and with that strength, with that physical strength came a great deal of self-confidence and well-being, a feeling of well-being and peace that I hadn't known before. And um, so I started investigating this in my journalism. (coughs) And I wrote a couple of stories, one in particular about three triathletes who are in recovery. And the publisher (coughs) asked me if I would write a book about this subject.
1: Right. Ready to drink the water? Well, we both have colds today, so but we can get through this. In your book, you talk about them asking you to write, someone asking you to write about this, and I know that you at that point you sort of paused and thought, kind of, who am I to write about this? You know, what am I going to write? And there's a powerful couple of pages in the book where you you ask the the readers to, you say, just let me draw you a picture of what addiction can do to the body. (coughs) And you paint, um, and you use a bit of science and and a lot of descriptions of what, you know, alcohol and drugs do to the body. Um, And, what it did to this particular woman of course you go on for a couple of pages of how this practically killed this woman and then you say this the woman in the picture is me what did you feel like uh, you know those last few days when you were about to give up and you knew you were powerless over this and what had it done to your body
2: I don't know I don't know what possessed me to take those pictures I stood in front of the mirror and shot probably 30 pictures of my emaciated body.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And I knew I was getting ready to detox. Um, And I felt... (coughs) (coughs) Gosh, I I apologize for this cold. Oh, that's okay. This is live. I thought I could never... I had... I was almost totally hopeless, you know, I, I didn't want to go to detox because I had been absent. My addiction had made me absent from my son for so long. Uh, and so I called the detox that I trusted and they advised me to go to this particular doctor who out, who detox people outpatient. And I knew that I had been on painkillers for so long. I was afraid that I had damaged my nervous system Mm
1: -hmm.
2: permanently. And that's what I hear when I started my blog in 2010. (coughs) That's something I've heard from people worldwide. You know, maybe I've damaged myself permanently. Um, And that kind of self-doubt can really lead us back into addiction, because we think, well, there's no point even trying. Right. I might as well just keep taking these drugs, um, because I'll never heal. But I had been in Al-Anon, actually, for a long time, and in in that program, because I come from a family full of addiction... (coughs) Um, I had found a higher power. That's basically it's it's a it's a higher power that's rooted in the idea that we all have an innate um, power of healing built inside of our bodies, which we do. I mean, when we cut our finger, we don't have to sit there and will it into healing. It just heals by itself, right. and. Even in the midst, I saw when my mother died of lung cancer, she died of lung cancer at 58, after a lifetime of smoking cigarettes, <clears throat> nicotine addiction, I saw <coughs> <coughs> that her body had healed in many ways. Uh, she had a major injury that had healed perfectly by the time she, she had died. And the doctor even examined her body and said, this is healed perfectly and that kind of blew my mind and so that guided me that was a kind of higher power that guided me to think that well maybe I can heal from this maybe mm-hmm. maybe I don't have to suffer the same fate as both my parents because my father died of cirrhosis and cancer as well right so
1: you mentioned in the book and I and I um I think these are powerful things uh, when they're lived by people like you, but also, you know, when the facts, you talk about the, the British Medical Journal a few, a few years back when it ranked alcohol as a Class A dangerous drug and 25% more dangerous, more harmful than heroin, the most, ne- yeah. you know, the next most dangerous. And, you know, you put it in kind of layman's terms. You said in terms of sheer abuse to the body, booze beats, dope crack, and meth, hands down. And you go into the statistics in the United States of how, how much alcoholism there is, how many people drink alcoholically, how many are binge drinking, heavy drinking, but basically ruining their bodies and their livers and their brains. And, you know, you say that teenage drinking is the way addiction starts for most people in this country. Uh, and it's a powerful thing to say. Uh, you know, on the effects of alcohol on, on the brains, the central nervous systems, the endocrine systems, uh, of this population that we live in. And bringing that right to the forefront certainly lays out the groundwork for this emphasis, you know, in this book. I mean, what are we going to do to get our bodies back, you know? And, uh, when we come back, we're going to take a short break. We've been talking with Jennifer Matisa about her book, The Recovering Body, Physical and Spiritual Fitness for Living Clean and Sober. Um, she's got a little bit of a cold today, but we will get through this. So we, There's probably many people listening that do as well. And when we come back, we'll give you more information about how to get the book and where to go to look her up on the web uh, as we continue our discussion with Jennifer. We'll be right back.
4: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org family centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders.
0: Every day we hear about health and nutrition, but it's also confusing. We think we're eating the foods that are good for us like nuts and berries and avoiding things that supposedly aren't like gluten. Yet we still wind up craving poor foods, taking medications, sleeping poorly and gaining more weight than ever. What could be underlying these health problems? Get the answers. Tune in to Nutritional Wellness Beyond Food with host Lori Hibbard, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health &
3: Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness
0: Welcome back, everybody.
1: We've been talking to Jennifer Matisa, who has a bad, bad cold. She's <laughs> fighting, fighting through it. I want the listeners to uh, go to her website if you can. It's jennifermatisa, M-A-T-E-S-A dot com. And you'll see uh, a lot more about her. She does really a lot of things. She's a accomplished author and a painter and... Uh, she does really an awful lot of things in and for recovery and awareness about uh, about addiction. And her new book is called *The Recovering Body*. And we've been talking about just the abuse that alcohol and drugs uh, heap on our bodies, our brains, our nervous systems, our liver, everything, and the struggle coming into recovery. To get the body, I mean, you have to get the mind, the body, and the spirit all working as one. And the body is the last one to catch up if, if you come in as bad as uh, Jennifer's told us her story. And I want to read, you have a great little quote here, if I can find it.
2: If I could just add, <clears throat> before yes. we go into that, that the real website that might help them more that I run is called GwenevereGetsSober and it's full of information about re- addiction and recovery. It's what I started. It's a website I started in 2010. My blog. Okay. So if they go there, they'll find a ton of um, interviews and um, reviews of media and books and reviews of professional literature, scientific literature, and that's really where I started writing professionally about addiction. So guineveregetssober.com.
1: And how do you spell that?
2: G-U-I-N-E-V-E-R-E, guineveregetssober.com.
1: Right. The second chapter of the book, uh, the first chapter gives a lot of information, which I found very helpful to share with parents and and people about alcohol and drugs and the use it does in the body. In Chapter 2, you start... You start with a quote by Professor Daniel Lieberman at Harvard, and he says, It is often said that exercise is medicine, but a more correct statement is that insufficient regular exercise is abnormal and pathological. <coughs> That's very right. powerful.
2: Essentially, if we don't exercise, it's sick. That's the way I think of it. Um, uh-huh we we can think of exercise as medicine and <clears throat> but what what we often forget about is when we when we turn into couch potatoes that's really that's really against evolution we're not evolved to sit still for long periods of time our bodies are designed to move
1: to exercise right
2: yes to to move to exercise to <clears throat> um to move in all kinds of ways, you know. It's just not normal for us to sit in a chair for a long period of time and be still.
1: Right. You talk about um, being in college and you talk about this list you found and tell us about this list. It it says, uh, I sat in one of my seminars and doodled doodled a list of things I wanted to do that summer and you found this later. What is this uh, unhealthy list that you had?
2: Yeah, so I was in graduate school. <clears throat> I had started drinking in undergraduate school at 17. You mentioned before the statistic that if you, dr- you start drinking as a teenager, it's more likely that you'll develop a problem with alcohol if you have, if you have that genetic predisposition especially. <clears throat> so by the time I was in graduate school, I, I was bordering on being a professional drinker, and um, <clears throat> I'd already wrecked my car while drunk, for example, and so I doodled this list in a a seminar. I was going to buy a bicycle, I was going to get drunk, eat chocolate, and sew a black linen dress. So those (laughs) those were my plans, basically, (laughs) for my life.
1: (laughs) Well, it sounds like you accomplished all that. I did. Uh, And then you kept going, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was really glad that I actually... The top item was to buy a bicycle and, um, and I did get drunk that summer, but I did also, I did also ride a lot. I bought my first bike and I got my body moving. It was a very, very good bike, a French made touring bike with 18 speeds. I'd never had a bike like it and it made my body feel so good and I didn't know at the time what it was doing inside my body, but it was raising levels of endorphins and dopamine. So endorphins are the, the body's natural painkillers. Dopamine is the body's natural re- reward chemical. Opioids fill the, dopam- fill the, op- the opioid receptor, the, the painkiller receptor, endorphin receptor. And cocaine fills the, stimulates the production of dopamine, any stimulant mess does the same thing. So I was essentially naturally getting a high. And it was healthy because it was helping my body adapt to stress. It wasn't it wasn't creating more stress to my for my body. That's what exercise does. It's an adaptogen. It it helps the body adapt to stress. So I was getting healthy for the first time in my life.
1: And this was before the uh, before the relapse and couldn't could you tell us you mentioned post acute withdrawal symptoms right and could you tell me and our listeners more about uh, what that is and how powerful that is and how long that lasts
2: <clears throat> oh yes it 's very it 's a huge concern for my readers on my blog. Mm-hmm. Many of the readers write in because they 've detoxed or they 're trying to detox from. Opioids or, or some substance, and um, <clears throat> they're experiencing they might have kicked, they might rack up 60 or, or 90 days of recovery time, abstinence, and they just their bodies just are not feeling well, and it's because <clears throat> um, quite often, the substances that we abuse, some of them are fat-soluble. Um, and they have long-acting effects on the body. They, their metabol- they or their metabolites might hang around in the body. That they'll invade the fat cells, and the, and when fat-soluble chemicals, as opposed to water-soluble ones, which we just you know excrete in the bathroom, mm-hmm. fat-soluble chemicals hang around in the body much longer, and make detoxing a much more prolonged process. So. We might not be ingesting chemicals, but our bodies are still excreting them because <clears throat> it takes a great deal of time to process those chemicals out, out of the fat cells. So that's what was happening to me in my post-acute withdrawal after I, after I detoxed off fentanyl because fentanyl is a fat soluble drug and and it just had I had been taking it for three and a half years, and it had just permeated my body to the degree that it took months and months for me to feel better and then even after our bodies have excreted those drugs the nervous the central nervous system <clears throat> has to regain its its normal balance when we take um, drugs our they fill certain receptors in our body, mm-hmm. and if we if we take if we get drunk, if we consistently take more than we should, then our bodies respond by creating more of those receptors to deal with the overload of those drugs. And so when we stop taking those drugs, our bodies have way, way more receptors than they need, and they're crying out for to be filled, and that's what makes makes us feel so horrible. That's part of, the, part of what makes us feel so horrible. The rest of it, frankly, is just being unfit. It's being malnourished and unfit, and chronically insomniac. So yeah. um, that's, that's what post-acute withdrawal syndrome feels like. Frankly, for the women listening, it feels a heck of a lot like PMS times 10. And yeah. <clears throat> that's the truth. The research shows that PMS and, and, and post-acute withdrawal feel a great deal similar. And it's, it's just basically restless restlessness, irritability, and discontentment in the language of recovery.
1: Right. And what you're saying is, um, and it's in in your book, that you've got to, of course, work the spiritual program and do the things you need to do to stop putting the things into your body. But the person that comes in who's detoxing has all these symptoms so post acute withdrawal. So where do you start? You you talk about moving this home that is your body, right?
2: Right. So where do you I mean,
1: how do you get started? Isn't that the hardest thing there is to do?
2: Well sure. I mean one of the one of the greatest most well known physical properties in in the universe is the property of inertia. I mean a body at rest wants to stay at rest. So we need to gear up slowly. I mean I, I need it to gear up slowly. When I was in the middle of pause, Pete, post-acute withdrawal,
4: mm-hmm.
2: I had to start by walking just 20 minutes a day. So, and I, I hadn't even really, I, I, I by the time, of, by the time I was at the end of my addiction, I was spending most of my time in one room of my house. So I, I really wasn't getting any physical exercise. And so I would take a walk around my neighborhood and I would drag my body around the neighborhood. And right. one benefit of detoxing was <clears throat> I could, again, enjoy music. When I was in, in my active addiction, my body was full of painkillers, numbing agents, basically. I, I couldn't even listen to music because I didn't, I didn't feel like it. I couldn't really hear it.
4: Uh-huh.
2: I didn't enjoy it. So I created a playlist that was really energetic and I and that would make me, that would energize me and, and move me around the neighborhood. So I didn't start out by cycling fifteen miles, you know. Sure. I started out by walking probably fifteen blocks
1: <laughs> around
2: yeah. the neighborhood and then and back home.
1: And you don't and, have and to And it have was important
2: it. to me, I'll just add, it was important to me to yeah. get outside because it's always been important for me to exercise outside because I love the elements. And getting sunlight in your face and wind on your skin is very, very important. I think it's much more beneficial than just going, going on a treadmill in a gym.
1: Right. And once, once you get this movement and once you start to move, you talk about the body producing endorphins and all the good kinds of things that feel good, that your body has at your access through exercise. And so there gets to be a new sort of a feeling once you get up and running, and it doesn't take a whole lot of time, does it?
2: No, no. Um, In fact, one of my favorite physicians is Steve Scanlon from Palm Beach Outpatient Detox in Florida. He's an expert at dealing with opioid addiction, and he detoxes people off benzodiazepines, valium and and its cousins and alcohol and, and stimulants too, but um, <clears throat> but he takes a lot of patients who get on this get on chronic suboxone maintenance because they try to detox off opioids and they can't and then they get hooked on suboxone.
4: Yeah.
2: Um and he talks about how with these patients, which it takes it takes them takes them, I don't know, four to six months to detox Sometimes longer to detox some of these patients off suboxone. When they exercise just 12 minutes a day, he says, they restore their sleep architecture, their normal sleeping patterns within half the time. Wow! That. It, that other people who don't exercise, it takes, it takes other people who don't exercise. And he said, and of course if you exercise more, then it's, it's even more beneficial. So no, you don't have to. But I think that right. the, the, the crucial thing is that you do it regularly. And I did it every, I tried to do it every day.
1: Right. We're going to take a little break here uh, on that 12 minutes a day. It's very, very encouraging. And we've been talking to Jennifer Matisse and when we come back, we're going to talk about appetite and food. Well, now that we're up and running, got our house moving, uh, we'll be back after this break.
3: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You read about it in health news every day.
4: Cancer rates are going up. Obesity in the U.S. is on the rise. Heart disease and diabetes are top killers every year.
3: We can follow the advice of our doctor, but cravings persist. Weight goes up and energy is still down. It doesn't have to be like this. Tune in for Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. You'll learn how you can work with your body to feel better and look better, too. Body Balance Talk airs live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: We're still talking with Jennifer Matisse, and I want to again give her website is jennifermatisse.com, and then also uh, her award-winning blog is called Guinevere Gets Sober, is that correct, .com? Yep. Yeah, okay.
2: guineveregetssober.com.
1: And um, Jennifer would like for you to go there. It is a, a great place for resources, for exchanging of ideas, um, Kind of witnessing what works. It's really the old-fashioned way of of uh, healthcare, where people talk to each other about what they're doing and what works. And Jennifer has shared with us, um, you know, what drugs and alcohol do to the body, and uh, to reverse that, or as people have said on our show, I've heard people say they got to go in the woods. 10 miles, they got to come back up 10 miles.
2: Hmm.
1: And it can be pretty daunting when the physical health and, and the complications of that uh, interfere with your, I guess, desire to recover with hope and all those sorts of things. So we ended, Jennifer, with getting this body up and moving finally and how 12 minutes a day can uh, reverse this hormonal imbalance in your body and start to restore sleep to do all this and to fuel this and to maintain it we have to start eating better and and this is really uh, an interesting topic because i think many of us uh, see in this world that eating well is a tough thing to do, or it's a it's a habit that this country's not in, and um, good food is not accessible, and and this is really about changing your habits, isn't it? I mean, this is a big deal, starting to eat differently.
2: Definitely, yeah.
1: So, tell us where you went and how you got there. Uh, now you're up and running, and you're going to start to eat, <laughs> start to eat better. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> well, um, you had mentioned hormonal imbalance before, and eating well is just another way of adding to that restoration of hormonal balance. Because many of us eat way too many processed and refined sugars, processed foods and refined sugars, which make make our insulin levels go out of whack, really raise our insulin levels, and that can f- seriously threaten our metabolism. And cause insulin resistance and diabetes, and <clears throat> I think that my first substance of abuse really was sugar
4: uh-huh.
2: when I go back back into my history, I mean a lot of us when we get we get into recovery we are asked to write chemical histories and um I certainly didn't use drugs per se when I was a kid a little kid, but I definitely knew as early as four or four, five, six years old that I loved sugar and chocolate, mm-hmm. and I binged on those. And I I look back at my diet, what it was when I was a child, and it was certainly seventy five to eighty percent processed food and sugar, <clears throat> very few whole foods in there. Uh, dinner was probably whole foods, very simple. Meat, potatoes, vegetables, things like that. Things like that, but breakfast and lunch and snacks were all processed. So uh, and drinks. I, I drank a lot of soda when I was a kid, and yep. which is horrible for you. It's just very. It's a lot of the childhood obesity in this country is caused by soda overconsumption over consumption of soda or any consumption of soda. So um, and sugars release endorphins and dopamine as well, you know, um, stimulate the mu receptor, mu opioid receptor, the way painkillers do and release dopamin, dopamine the way stimulants do. So that's why the, those foods are comfort foods because they comfort us the way uh, substances of abuse do. And I, I think of sugar now as, as a drug, you know, for me. Mm. Um, so I had to face the fact after a while in recovery that I needed to eat better. And once I started the home exercise program, which I ordered ov- online and which came with its own handy dandy little <laughs> nutrition guidelines, <laughs> which did not include processed foods and sugar, <laughs> um, I realized that I was going to have to feed my body real fuel. And that's, that's really what food is. That's what our bodies were evolved to, to eat was food as fuel and not as a taste extravaganza. You know, we're not, um, we're not designed to eat stuff just to satisfy our taste buds. We're, we're designed to eat stuff to fuel the cells of our body. So that's right. the way I think of it now.
1: Well, and in addiction, this is kind of a no-brainer from a layman, you know, me, but in addiction, our brain, you know, the brain is sort of telling you what to eat and take. Uh, in recovery, your body will tell you, right? What you well, need.
2: The brain is part of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I think that one of the sentinel features of addiction is distortion of the truth, right? I mean, okay. that's why rigorous honesty is so helpful in recovery <laughs> because yeah. addiction distorts the truth. I guess my, que- my
1: question is about cravings. Um,
2: yeah. Uh-huh. If you're
1: eating better, will, will that change the brain from this craving uh, mechanism to a more healthy approach to what is it my body's really asking for? I guess that's the question. Well, Obviously I certainly getting think off sugar that- does that right?
2: Yeah, sugar and pro I think of processed foods is the same. I mean I when I go into right my local right aid, which is half a block away, I sort of have to walk right past the Uts potato chips because I just love potato chips and mm-hmm. and the study came out a couple a year or two ago that potato chips are seriously addictive. I mean, it's not just the um the salt and the carbohydrate, but the actual crunch, the crunchy feel that, that excites our, our brains and our nervous system. So yeah, I have to abstain from those. And I know that when I abstain from sugar, w- when I abstain from high fructose corn syrup and processed sugar, my body will want it less. But when I start eating it again, that, that craving just takes takes right off and it's very hard to stay away from.
1: And why, why do this? I mean, to get back to the importance of uh, focusing on your body, I, I'm sure there is science and medicine that shows um, and we've had a lot of people on this show that run treatment centers, that nutrition and exercise and recovery is actually a pretty long, long process. It's a Marathon and not a sprint, right? But I mean, uh, your eating habits and exercise now are incorporated so much more into into the overhaul uh, talk about recovery, aren't they? And especially nutrition.
2: So you're asking why why we should overhaul our diets?
1: Well, I guess I'm saying that the proof is there that this is really important. Um, you know what you're talking about because more and more people are talking about. Um, I know p- we, folks we've had on here that got into recovery, let's say 30 years ago, there was no talk, Jennifer, of nutrition. I mean, it was a 30 day program and then you were left kind of on your own, right? Right. It, uh, so, so this new awareness, uh, and I think the proof is starting to show how important it is, this is into long term recovery. And I just, you're documenting this, you know, and your life is just really powerful. And again, like with the exercise, how do you get started with trying to eat differently? Where do you get started? And what are some just simple guidelines to start this uh, new eating sort of life? Just what are the simple things that you outline in the book? to get started? So
2: one, one thing I want to note is that refined sugar... Is processed just like alcohol in the body. Alcohol, when we drink it, it's converted straight away to sugar by the liver. And, and sugar is processed the same way. And they both make insulin levels spike. And then they make us go into... And then they make our bodies produce a, a huge load of insulin, which makes our bodies process that sugar. And then we experience a sugar crash... So we get restless, irritable, and discontent all over again, which brings on more cravings for alcohol or sugar. Um, so I think that I think that one thing I I did was just to understand. I mean, I, I remember I I just did a talk in Minneapolis to about a thousand people, and one of the questions, the first question directly asked to me was, you know, how do you deal with sugar? How do you
4: right.
2: how do you deal with it? It was asked by a woman. So many women have this problem. And a woman approached me after the talk and said, I've been off sugar for two two or three years, I think she said. And I said, how did you do it? And she said, I just understood what it was to me. I accepted what it was to me. And that's that's sort of step one, you know. I mean, it's like I understood I was powerless over it. It's It has power over me. And if I eat it, it'll poison me. It's basically a toxin, you know, yeah. which is what substances are, which is why we call it detox. It's detoxifying our bodies, depoisoning them. Um, and our, our bodies go through the same kind of withdrawal when we quit sugar, which is why it makes us so unhappy to quit it. Um, so I, I first just had to understand... That it's just not good for me, and I and and let me say I am not perfect at this. Okay, I mean right. it's not like I just gave up sugar once and and it's it's been done. I've been doing that. I've been doing this over and over again because, well, I get invited to to parties. I get invited to gatherings. I I you know I go over people's houses for dinner and dessert is served and it's very hard for me to turn those things down. So, but I just like we take step. This steps over and over again. I just, I just admit that I, I failed or that I, you know, gave in and I need to start again. And then I, I begin to talk to my body and ask what it really wants. Mm -hmm. And I have a very high metabolism and I've tried to be vegetarian before, but I can't. I really need animal protein. So I, I buy the best that I can afford. You know, I try to buy grass-fed meats that are organic. I try to buy free, free-range chicken. And I try to buy organic fruits and vegetables. So, and the more that I treat my body to these good foods, the more energy I have, you know, the more well-being I have.
1: Mm-hmm. We've been talking with Jennifer Matiso about her new book. It's called The Recovering Body physical and spiritual fitness for living clean and sober it's available um, uh, through hazelden and of course at barnes and noble and amazon and uh, please check it out and check her website out uh, while we're on break and we're going to be back in a minute to finish up with with jennifer we'll be right back
4: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders that's westbridge.org family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders every day you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field one day you hear one thing and the next day you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before how do you know what's right Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan and Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Welcome back to the last segment. This is John McAndrew. We've been talking with Jennifer Matisse about her book, *The Recovering Body*, and and Jennifer's had a bad, bad cold. She seems to be settling in a little bit, and we—this hour has gone really, really fast. So I encourage our listeners to pick the book up. um, And it's called *The Recovering Body*, and it it just—there are. I'm a simple person, so this is really easy to follow, and it gives some guidelines. And she's talked about the damage to the body and the need to get the body moving, and about nutrition. And this last segment, we want to talk about two really important things. And I've heard this for a long, long time that um, sleep is really underrated. <laughs> so, so tell us about what you think about sleep and the importance of it.
2: Well, um, when many of us quit substances, we are insomniac, and we haven't we haven't slept a normal like sleep in a long, long time mm-hmm. and sleep is um, the time the the research is showing that um, sleep is the time when the body actually does detoxify itself for a long time. Researchers didn't know why we, why the human body needed to sleep. It seems to go against evolution because when we go to sleep, we make ourselves really vulnerable and we don't, we're not like the birds. We don't sleep in trees. You know, we sleep on the ground. So we make yeah. our, ourselves vulnerable to predators. But, but rec- recent research that has come out has shown that what happens during sleep is that the brain cells, which are, are pushed tight together, during waking hours, actually recede a little bit and create space around them so that cerebrospinal fluid can flow around those brain cells and and in the spinal cord, and it detoxifies the brain, and it gets rid of impurities. And so I just thought this was a brilliant metaphor for what we're doing in recovery. And so it's very, very important for us to protect our sleep and learn how to sleep more productively and aside from knowing, you know, people read my blog and aside from writing in and asking when they'll feel better, one of the most common questions asked of me <clears throat> is how am I going to sleep a decent night's sleep? And it's an extremely, it puts us extremely high risk for relapse, poor sleep. So, and people will just turn straight to Ambien or other Addictive drugs, benzodiazepines to sleep better. And it's yeah. better, and, those, and, and research shows that those drugs actually don't add quality sleep time to our, our night's sleep. Ambien maybe adds 30 minutes of sleep, but it doesn't mean that we get a better night's sleep. It just means that we're, our eyes are shut longer. So right. it's important to learn how to foster good sleep. And um, so I talked to some people in this chapter <clears throat> and offer some guidelines for good sleep and one of those is is exercising of course and and one is to practice peace of mind which is essentially step step four through nine i mean it's cleaning cleaning house and making sure our consciences our our minds are at rest we can we can rest easy with who we are
1: mm-hmm. and um you talk about uh Developing new some habits around sleep, and I know many treatment centers are incorporating this. Um, uh, you develop the habits of you know getting down and going to sleep instead of. I mean, eating has to have something to do with this as well, doesn't it? I I know I for one have the bad habit of eating right before I go to sleep, uh, and that doesn't always do the best. <laughs>
2: I think it's really helpful for me not to eat after I don't know 8 or 8:30. Mm-hmm. If I eat a big big late dinner, it'll be very very hard for my body to sleep essentially because I'm asking my body to do a whole lot of work while it's winding down for the night. <clears throat> right. So, it's it's really being this whole book is really being aware of what we're asking our bodies to do and being in conversation with our bodies. I used to treat my body as if it were my own personal slave, <laughs> you know, yeah. like just get out there and do what I want you to do, damn it. And and yeah. if you're not going to do it, I'll shove a drug into you so that I'll make you do it. Um, but I learned that I can't do that. And one of the best um, exercises for sleeping that I've learned is the body scan. And this is part of John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based stress reduction course, which is a 30-year tested research-backed course, very well known. John Kabat-Zinn is a well-known author who wrote Full Catastrophe Living and many other books. And he recommends the body scan as one one form of um, awareness development. And I just go through my body while I'm lying in bed in a comfortable position, go through my body piece part by part, starting with my toes and ending at the top of my head. And usually by the time I get to my knees or my hips, I'm asleep, you know, because I, I can feel my body relaxing because I'm just paying attention to it and it, it, right. it becomes calm. I'm keeping it company, essentially.
1: And you go, there's a couple of other chapters, and one is in gratifying the body, pleasure and sexuality. And the final chapter is about awareness and meditation and meditation. All of these are interconnected, I'm sure, but, um, you know, without getting, we've just got a few minutes left, but obviously you talk about alcohol and drugs and the effect on the body to be sexual, to feel, to have physical gratification. I mean, basically you're numbed out and you give up that part of your life. And I know many people that are in recovery relate relate to that. But why was it important for you to write this chapter, Gratifying the Body, Pleasure, and Sexuality?
2: Oh, my goodness, because I think that um, so many people lose the ability to be sexual during active addiction. and mm-hmm. And it's not just about sexuality. It's about all forms of pleasure, but... I think sexuality is so connected to the life force that moves throughout my body it's a very generative and productive force and can be very healing and if we're not in touch with it it ruins relationships with with ourselves and with each other um, and it's just an, and, and also because hardly anybody talks about it and I think it's very very important to talk
4: about
1: mm-hmm. and so what are some of the guidelines in that chapter that you talk about and just developing a new life. Now, I, you know, lots of people that come into recovery are covered in jackets and sweaters of shame because of the stuff they did while they were drunk or high. But um, what are some of the guidelines uh, that you mention here on on the sexuality piece?
2: Well, I think I think one of the most important for men and for women is to remember that, when, whatever we did while we were in our active addictions, if we were promiscuous or not, if we had sex that we, we shouldn't, we didn't, we don't like, we don't like thinking about. Sexuality doesn't equal intimacy, and a lot of people in recovery will look toward sexuality to comfort themselves, and um, so I think it's important to forgive ourselves for what we've done and also to... Um, understand that moving forward just having sexuality with someone doesn't doesn't mean that we have love or intimacy so it's important to learn how to be intimate um as well
1: right jennifer we this hour has kind of flown Uh by and uh i want people to get on your website and go to your blog guineveregetsober.com and then also jennifermatisa.com and look up her Past books and um, and the blog, and of course the new book, the Recovering Body, and I think you've tied a lot of things in very simply to just talk about we've got a body to repair, and the body carries the soul around, so we better take care of this thing. And once again, we want to thank you for being on the show, and uh, we will follow you, and uh, maybe we'll have you back. Uh, oh, that would be delightful. I'd do... love to come back. And take care out on the road. Pushing this book. Thank you. And drink lots of water. We thank you very much. And we'll talk. Thank you, to you so again. much for having me. So long, everybody.
2: Bye-bye.
0: We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion, one hour at a time. We'll see you next week.